right, well, let's get started. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 3. Little uh, little disclaimer for tonight. I, it, it, <laughs> I've tried, I don't know how this message is going to end yet because I've tried to get there three times and had I just, the Lord, I just was weeping. So I haven't gotten to the end yet. Uh, so it could be emotional, I guess what I'm saying. So if you need tissues, maybe get tissues. That's just my disclaimer. Who knows? Maybe we'll end up laughing. So as I was uh, preparing for this, you know, I, I shared this this morning up on, the, on Table Rock at the Sunrise Service. I, I have a mixed relationship with tradition and uh, found myself oftentimes kind of almost like, eh, I don't want to do something that I'm just supposed to do. So Easter has always been a weird day for me. Uh, just like, well, do I really want to celebrate Easter? Or do I just have to because it's Easter? And anyways, um, what I have learned as I've matured in my uh, immaturity there is uh, what I'm looking for is the wonder of why do we have these traditions. And so uh, as I was pondering for the last uh, week and a half or so on this message, I just said, Lord, I want, I want you to put the wonder of what this day is in me. I want you to grip me with the awe of why this is so significant and almost make it like it's fresh for me again. So um, I'm just going to uh, preach a message of the simple gospel, uh, which is really what Easter is about. It's coming down to the core uh, centrality, central message of what Christianity is. And so uh, this is a famous verse, but I'm going to start with John 3.16. John 3.16 says that, God says that, right? He gave his, and whoever believes in him. <laughs> Come on. Sunday school is successful, all right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God loved us. He sent us Jesus. And as we believe in him, we enter into eternal life. Uh, I went from there, and the Lord took me to the book of Jude. And this is Jude. Uh, there's only one chapter. Jude 1, 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith was was once for all handed down to the saints. And I love that verse. There's something very therapeutic about it to my soul. This, this, this common salvation and the faith, the belief that was once for all passed down. Right? We are part of a tradition that is thousands years old now. And, you know, and we trace our roots to the Judeo, uh, to the Jewish people. And so even longer in that sense. And it's the faith that was once for all. Like We don't have to add something to it. You know, like, it's, it's the same message, and that same after generation, transforming people for thousands of years, for decade and generation after generation after generation. And, and, and this faith, uh, I went from there, and you can, you can follow me on this one, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What is this faith? Right? What is it that we're supposed to put our faith, this faith that was once and for all handed down? We're to contend for this faith, and what is our faith to be put in? Um, I'm going to read a, a lengthier piece of uh, a passage here, starting in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. Y'all there? 
But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we're even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So what is it that we put our faith in? It's the resurrection. It's the resurrection. It's that this man, Christ Jesus, was raised from the dead. Uh, the bottom line of Christianity is that as Christians, we are banking everything on the belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If he did not suffer and was crucified and beaten and died in a physical body that was put in a grave and in that same body raised from the dead, everything that we're doing is absolutely absurd and worthless. And not only that, Paul's like, you will be a blasphemer against God if indeed this resurrection's not true. Like, this is serious stuff. Like, sometimes we think there's like this middle ground in Christianity. There's a lot of things, there's gray areas. But when it comes to the central core, it is that you either believe that a man rose from the dead or you're a fraud. <laughs> right? There's no like, there's no like, yeah, I'm kind of halfway in. Like, it's like, Jesus either rose from the dead and you are saying, I have the key to eternal life, or you are a fraud and you are deeply deceived and you're actually blaspheming God. You're false testifying against him, saying he did something that he indeed did not do. I believe that we have lost the fear, the holy fear of Easter. We've, we've lost the awe of, of, and the trembling associated to this resurrection that took place. Because in reality, uh, Easter is a reminder of how radical our profession of being a Christian really is. Like, it's radical. There's no, like, middle ground. It's I am banking my whole existence. I'm banking my entire belief system. I'm banking everything about myself, how I live, what I invest, like, you know, what I value I'm banking it on an act that is 100% humanly speaking impossible, right? It's, I'm banking and I can't really conceptualize, right? It's, I'm banking everything on that a man named Jesus is God and when he died, he rose. <laughs> like, do you see like the vulnerability of that? Like, we have to be pretty convinced that that resurrection's real, because if it's not and we prof profess it, we're blaspheming God. Like, that's what Paul's saying. Like, do you see that 
There's like no middle ground. It's like you're either fully in and you are in the truth or you are a fraud. Like we've lost the fear of this. It's a holy fear. It's like, whoa, right? Easter should make us tremble. It should remind us that this profession of Christianity, it's a radical thing. It's, it's saying, I believe in the supernatural, right? Sometimes it cracks me up when Christians say, I have a hard time believing God heals people. Like, but if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, your faith is worthless. I'm like, I can believe for a wrist. It's a lot easier than thinking a dead person that was beaten and nailed to a cross, like rose two days, you know, two mornings later. Are you following me? Like the foundation of this Christian thing is absurd to our minds. It's, it's founded in a supernatural act that believes somehow God did a miracle. Right? This doesn't agree with the enlightenment. This doesn't agree with the rational mind. This is absurd. And I think Easter's got to shake us and remind us we're a radical people. This, this Christian breed is not normal. There's nothing that's like moderate about Christianity. It's like... We believe a dead man rose. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is cool. You guys are getting this. I'm getting, this is where I've been. I've been like, man, this is crazy. I've never thought of Easter like this. I'm kind of getting scared of it now. Like, wow, what do I think of this resurrection? So why, why still, why the resurrection? Why is that our faith, why does it have to be banked in this resurrection? Right? There's uh, this trend of the day and the thinking of the day is that, you know, if God is a God of love, then everyone's going to end up with him. Right? There can't be a hell if God is a God of love. Right? If, if, who's had someone ask that? Who's thought that yourself? Just raise your hand. Right? If, if, how can a God who's a God of love let people go to hell where they're suffering? Right? That, that, that doesn't make sense. So we've made up a lot of thinking and rationale, and we've intellectualized this understanding. We've tried to make sense of what this hell thing is, and we've kind of talked away the need of the resurrection, because it's like Jesus, you know, he, he's a way to God, and so is Buddha, and so is these other ways. There's, there's all the roads eventually into God. He just wants good people, and he's a God of love. Right? And it starts negating, it starts getting us away from the centrality of the need for a resurrection. Right? And I think we've had a real misunderstanding, a warped view of what hell is. Right? We have looked at hell as if it is this creation that was birthed from the wrath and the cruelty of God. He, he created it to punish people, is how we kind of drift into thinking. Hell does not exist because of the cruelty of God. Hell exists because of the radical love. Of God. God loves us so deeply that He allows us to reject Him and choose to be away from Him. Because love exists where there's freedom, and freedom is that you have choice. And so God gave mankind the ability, it breaks His heart, it's not what He wants, it rips Him to pieces. But he gave mankind the ability to choose to be away from him because he loves. And so I would say in that light, if God is truly a God of love, 
hell must exempt him. There must be a space. There must be the ability for me to separate myself from him if there is also the ability for me to choose him. And God wants love. He is so committed to you. He will never control you. To control you and force you to be with him forever would be a violation of his very nature. It would be an outcry against love. He loves us so much. He lets us abandon him. He lets us, he allowed us to divorce ourselves from him, to reject him and choose to be on our own. And so hell, we got to rethink our understanding of hell. I don't believe it's a creation of wrath. It's there because God is a God of love. And so we chose this, mankind chose this, this hell, this separation from God. Each one of us chose it. We rebelled. We exalted ourselves and said, I will be my own God. I will use my own ration to choose what is right or wrong. I do not want to be dependent upon this creator. I think I can choose better myself. I will take of the tree and eat it because I have the autonomy and I have the right to live my own life. And so humanity became this people living in rebellion and independence. And we all became our own little mini gods living our own lives according to our own reason and rationale. And what have we created a world full of chaos and disorder and pain and agony and suffering we've created a hell there's beauty don't get me wrong I'm not a pessimist I'm actually sometimes I make myself angry how optimistic I am I live with rose-colored glasses but we all know you come face to face with the reality that there's pain in this world and it's because mankind's chosen, we've been perverted and even in our good intentions, we do things that hurt people. Hurting people hurt people who then become hurting people that hurt people who become hurting people that hurt people and mankind went on this trigger of a, of a, of a perpetual degradation into suffering and chaos and torment and addiction and pain. And God, because he so loved us, Even though we divorced ourselves from him and we chose it, he was not satisfied to just let us continue. He could not watch that horror show continue to play out. He was not not content with our choice. And so he sent his one and only begotten son, this man, this God-man, Christ Jesus. He sent him to a world that was in rebellion. And Jesus came to the world not to be loved, not to be worshipped, not to be served. He came to love. He didn't come with the expectation of being loved because he was sent to a world that had already divorced itself from him, that had already chosen, we don't want you. I choose other, I choose to be away. And so he came, says he didn't disclose himself, he he almost kept himself away because he knew what was in man. Yes, they celebrated him and they flocked to him, but the same people that celebrated him and cried Hosanna were crying crucify a few days later because man was simply wanting to use him to meet their own selfish desires because that is what men in independence do. Mankind does. They will exalt self and they will choose self, 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 self. And so Jesus comes, and and not to any surprise of his own, he gets rejected and denied. 
and abandoned and divorced once again from these people that he created. The creator God comes as a man and humbles himself to the point that the very flesh and bone that he creates, he allows them to reject them. And Jesus, because of his humility, becomes this canvas where the the true depravity of man could be exposed. He's this blank canvas. He emptied himself in love. He lived this life in purity. And what he got for it, what he got on that blank, white, beautiful canvas was a crucifixion, which was to be an image for you and me of that is what we chose. I'll reject I'm going to divorce myself from you and and even violently hate this God of love because we've been blinded by deception. So Jesus comes. He allows himself to be rejected. He lets himself. He displays and reveals. He gives us space for the true depravity of our sin to manifest, and it manifested as a murder of a righteous man. And Jesus was crucified and hanging on a cross. A.W. Tozer has writings on this. I'm not going to quote him, but you could read his writings. But I'll paraphrase my own. You have to understand that whatever God does, he does with all of himself. He does with everything that he is. And so when Jesus was suffering on that cross, he was suffering more than all the suffering that there is in hell. Because he was suffering as God. He suffered with the anguish and the suffering of God with everything that he is. So hell, hell I think is, a, is nothing compared to what Jesus experienced. He swallowed hell whole as he hung on that tree. And in the culmination, as he's literally physically hanging and bleeding and breaking, and his heart can't hold the pain because he is suffering with the, with the passion of God. He cries out to the mocking crowd, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Which in essence was him communicating this. Though you divorced me and reject me and violently hate me and mock me, I still love you. I still choose you, even here in my groaning agony, in the, in the, in the darkest pit of hell, in the, in the suffering that exceeds what hell can even, cre- can even do. I still love you. I still want connection with you. I still offer forgiveness so that you can come into relationship with me because I want relationship with you. I don't care how bad, how dark, how much it cost me. Your relationship is worth more than this pain. Jesus came to offer humanity a second chance. He came to open a door for us to exit the hell that we had chosen, created, and enter back into the paradise of communion with God.
And he did this by inviting us into relationship with the culmination of his death. This gift of forgiveness to receive it. You're coming and we're forgiven and atoned by this blood, the shed blood of Jesus. Right? And he's inviting us into relationship with him. Right? So he's, he's saying, like, come, I want communion with you, even here at this pit. This darkness. And so when we receive forgiveness, what takes place uh, is we actually, you know, sometimes we think like the blood of Jesus, it like washes me as if I've got like dirt on my skin and it, and it you know, I put the blood on there and then it's, I'm clean. The blood of Jesus, it's not a superficial cleansing. It's, it's a permeation. It's a blood transfusion. It's, it's every single cell. It's to the DNA. It's, to, it's the life. It's, it's your very essence gets exposed to this substance, this blood of this righteous man, Jesus. Right. So forgiveness takes place not in the superficial, but when a heart truly recognizes, I put you on that tree, and I hear you calling out my name. Forgive me. I hear you saying, come into relationship with me. And I recognize my brokenness. I recognize that you hanging on that cross is the manifestation of my sin. And as I look at that beautiful agony, and I respond, and I break myself open, his blood comes, and I get a transfusion, and, and, and I enter into communion with this person, Jesus Christ. Right? We actually partake of his death. Right? He, he drew us into communion as he was being drawn into the grave. So why do we need a resurrection? As Paul said, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, you're still in your sins. That's great. Jesus modeled mercy. He, he modeled forgiveness. He was a moral man, right? That's, we should be like him. That's a great way to live your life. No, no, that's not the message, right? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you can be like him. You can be in relationship with him, but you're in relationship with a corpse. That's a morbid thought, right? Everyone always says, you know, the tagline is, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Right? If it is, it's a relationship. The whole central access of Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, you're in a relationship with a dead man. And you're still in your sins. You might know how to extend mercy, but you are still in your sins. But we know he didn't stay in the grave. We just sang it. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. Right? How long is he alive for? Forever. Right? This dead man. Truly, like, we got to get the grips here. This is it's like a human. Scarred. His face was marred beyond recognition. They laid him and wrapped him in linens. He couldn't breathe. He would have suffocated if he wasn't dead from the cross. They laid him in a tomb. He was there Friday night, he was there all day Saturday. He's a dead man. He was as dead as dead can be. Laying in a tomb with a stone, with a seal of the most powerful military force on the planet. And on Sunday morning, 
the Spirit of God. I don't think it was a mighty miracle for God. I believe the miraculous is just the normal of heaven invading earth. God just breathed and said, yes, all that hell is nothing to me. <laughs> and he breathed and he raised Jesus Christ in that same body and he rose him and it says he went through the veil by his own blood and entered into the very throne of the kingdom of heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But here's, here's the deal. And when we broke and said, forgive me, he knitted us into his heart. We became one with this man, Christ Jesus. We became wedded to him. Like when a man and a woman are no longer two flesh, but they're one. When we receive this gift, when we enter into this relationship, it is a covenant stronger than marriage. It's a covenant strong as death. Many waters will wash over it, but it's a fire that won't be put out. His love is relentless. He loved you from the depth of hell all the way to the height of heaven. And when you receive him in your brokenness, he you, you, you pulls you down into that grave with him. And then he pulls you up and he seats you right in the very throne of heaven. And he gives you a way out of the hell that you chose by your own free will and he set you in heaven next to the king and the throne of God where there's endless joy and peace and righteousness and power and dominion and the redemption of everything that we forfeited through the folly and the deception of our sin. That's the gospel. <laughs> That's the simple gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the most radical, glorious message. It's costly because you forsake your life when you open your heart to this crucified one. You'll lose your life. You'll lose everything. But what are you really forfeiting in light of what you gained? How is sacrifice even the right word? It's like, I, I give you my brokenness and my shame and my pain and maybe a few good ideas I got woven in all that. <laughs> and I get God. I get your glory. You know, it'd be like, hey, if you give me $5, you'll make $50 million. 60 years from now, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> right? It's beautiful. And not just that, he redeems us. He puts this hope that we've experienced the resurrection, but we still have yet to experience it. We're in this tension of journeying into this resurrection life where eventually we will manifest, materially be and the throne before the very face of God. But he didn't zap us to heaven the day we got saved because he wants us to have purpose for our lives. He wanted to redeem this, this stint that we have on planet earth. And the way he redeemed is he made us ambassadors of this message. He made us ambassadors of the radical cry of the gospel, of this crucified king hanging on a tree of Calvary, suffering with the passion of God, suffering beyond what hell could conjure, crying out, though you divorce me and reject me 
and deny me and spit on me and violently resist me to the point of death, I still love you. I still want you. I, I, I'm crazy about you and nothing you ever do is going to change that. So we get the joy and the privilege of being the messenger and, and the embodiment of that message to the world. We don't just get to preach it with our words. We're called to preach it with our lives. We're called to be the ones that as people reject and divorce and spit on and despise and mock and hate. You're loved. You're loved. I love you. I forgive you. And that is a glorious, wonderful thing that we get to be an Easter people, that we get to be this crazy bunch of individuals called Christians who bank everything on this humble king that came as a lamb and suffered and died and resurrected. It's all about the resurrection. So we, by default, have to be a people that believe in miracles because our whole life's banked on one. He's a, he's a God of miracles. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead, and that same spirit who rose him from the dead lives in you, what will he use you to do in this world? We get to be ambassadors of Easter. We get to be living expressions of resurrection life. And it flows from suffering love. So I commission you tonight. I charge you tonight. Be a people that represent this resurrection of Jesus. Be a people that exude it, that, that are immersed in it, that live captivated by the wonder of the resurrection. Let's be like the disciples who what they experienced, that resurrection so gripped them that they gave their whole lives to the point of death for it. People don't die rashly. People don't give their lives making a profession. They won't die for a confession very often. So it says something about the dynamic nature, about the reality of this resurrection. It's real, and he's alive, and he's here, and he's with you, and he's moving, and he's active, and he is still bringing resurrection life to a world that's craving it. So go be that to this world, to this city that's craving it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't really know how to close this because I told you I never got here in my prep. <laughs> But what I'm going to do, I want to invite the, the prayer team. You can come forward now. Uh, we can put the lights down a little bit. And uh, if this is something, you know, I don't do this often. Um, but if this is a message that is resonating with your heart and you've never made this decision to really open up and expose and say, I recognize my brokenness. I recognize even maybe I've had, you know, there's been a superficiality to my connection to Jesus Christ. And you want to make a decision tonight to enter into a very real relationship with a king that was both crucified and resurrected to give you a way out of the pain and the suffering, the hell of this life, and into the hope and the promise of the resurrection. Um, you know, we call that salvation. 
And if that's something that is um, on your heart that you haven't done, I just want to give an invitation for that um, uh, in this time of prayer. So um, I'm actually just going to have everyone stand up, and I'm going to close in prayer. Um, But if that's a decision that you want to make tonight, um, I'm just going to invite you when I close that you can come forward and, and someone will pray with you and talk through what that actually looks like. Um, so, Jesus, we thank you, God, that no matter if we're someone hearing your gospel message for the first time or play, or if we've been walking with you for 50 years, there's always a deeper place to go into your heart. God, that there is, there is a, a greater revelation of this simple gospel that is the message that saved our lives. And not just our lives, God, but it saved millions and millions of lives over the last 2,000 years. Lord, we thank you for the power of this simple testament. We thank you for what takes place when we yield and open our hearts to your love. I thank you for forgiveness. God, I thank you that you're wanting to bring a deeper revelation of forgiveness to many hearts tonight. God, that you're, you're, just, you're just awakening. God, you're wanting a deeper realized communion. God, I just say no more to the shame that wants to separate us, the shame that says I'm not worthy of being loved by this God. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you're doing work tonight, God, that, that miracles of resurrection are taking place in this room tonight. And I just feel like, God, there's miracles for some of you. There's miracles tonight. So if that's you, um, I'll just invite you to come forward and receive prayer. And that can look like, you know, a lot of different things for you all. But if this is a decision you want to make to invite Jesus into your heart, uh, I just want to invite you to do that. And uh, if you need prayer for other things, if you need a miracle in your body, uh, we just want to invite you forward to receive a prayer of faith and healing. He is the healer. He's a God of miracles. So I bless you in the name of the Lord, and I just commission you to go out and be the ambassadors of this message to Boise, Idaho, in Jesus' name.